Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Andy. Please take a seat. If you're online, you may take a seat if you stood at home. And if you didn't, why didn't you stand up anyway? Andy did forget to say something. He's a very generous. Because actually, the guy is a patient of Andy's. So he goes to Andy's dentist, and he knew that Andy was my younger brother. He was just doing it to butter me up. So he was successful until Andy ruined it and told me so. I thought, ah, at last, somebody who recognizes the true age gap between us. Anyway, there we go. Anyway, it is great to see you. If it's your first time in church, uh, you're very, very welcome. Thank you for coming. Appreciate it very, very much. And again, a welcome to the guys online. It's great to have you with us. And we had bonfire night last night. I hope you all enjoyed it. We had a good time. Thank you for everybody that made it happen. And if you are here because you went to the bonfire last night, you are especially, especially welcome. Well, we have started a new series this morning called The Truth Will Set You Free. And it's a series where we're going to have a look at some of the hot topics kind of of modern world uh, as it comes, I guess, into conflict or as it clashes with Christian points of view. And um, people say, well, why do you want to do a series like this? Well, we know that the generation coming up the world we live in is, um, is teaching us something. And our younger generation particularly is teaching us something. And if, if we don't say something, right? If we don't say something, then the teaching is going to be all done by the world outside. And uh, all they hear is a godless worldview of things. And um, we actually believe that God does know best. We believe that God loves people. God wants the best for them. He's full of wisdom. He understands the times and the seasons. He knows what makes for good families, for good communities, for good countries. He's convinced of it. He knows this. And he's trying to help us, you know, walk into that. And we should want to tell our neighbors and our friends these things. You know, loving our neighbors is not just about being nice and being quiet. It's about helping them to understand that there is better ways of doing things. And we don't want to leave as it were, the generations to come, or people around us to be just led by, you know, misguided people who are trying their best, or even plain evil people who are trying to teach them something that they know won't actually help them. And I just want to say, as we go through this series, if by some chance you get offended, which you might do, please don't take a huff and walk away. Will you come and talk to us? Come and say, explain. And uh, or if you don't understand anything, please do come and talk. The pastors are always available in the front of the end or whoever's been leading. We can, we're always happy to chat and explain or pray or whatever you need. Please come talk. Don't take offense. Come and talk with us. This morning, I, um, I kicked off with really trying to unpack the authority of the Word of God, the authority of the Bible. That message will be online. Suffice to say that as Christians, we believe this book here is the inherent, uh, without error, truth of what God says to us. And we believe that it's not just for the church, it's actually for everybody. Why? Because the earth is the laws and everything in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. Everything is under his dominion. Ephesians 1, verse 22. The only reason we're breathing, that we're alive, is because Jesus sustains everything. Hebrews 1 verse 3, and that one day, every single person will bow the knee, will realize that Jesus is the final authority 
on all things, whether they want to or not. Romans 4 and 11. So our basis for all our teaching is going to be on the Bible. Like I said, I tried to unpack why this morning. Well, with that said, I want to speak this evening for a few minutes, as it were, unpack the scriptural side, and then I'm going to ask a friend of mine to come onto the stage, and we're going to talk about some of the practical implications of what I'm about to teach you. Is that okay? Good. I'll pray, and then we'll get into the subject. Father, I thank you so much that you are here. I thank you that you made us, you sustain us. Father, I thank you that you're interested in us. You're not a God afar off. You're a God of near, who loves us and wants us to succeed, wants us to prosper. It says in Psalm chapter 1 that you teach us so that we may prosper as we follow your ways. Father, pray, help us to open our hearts and lives up to you this evening, that we may hear your voice, that we may understand new things, that we may sense your presence. And Father, that we would be willing to change, change mindsets, change opinions, to line them up with you and not Try as it were, go round what you're trying to say, but follow you. And Father, as always, if there's any who's listening tonight who doesn't know you, who's drifted far from you, Father, we pray you'd call them back to you, that they may know how loved and precious they are in your sight, and that you died for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin at the beginning on this subject, and we'll turn to Genesis chapter 2 and begin to read at verse 20. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20. And it said this, So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So we're going to talk about being one flesh tonight. We can talk about sex if that's all right. Because sex is a huge deal in our society. It's massive. It's everywhere. The products are often sold on sex. Programs are advertised with sex in them. Everything, it would seem to me, is about this connection of sex between individuals in this day. We want to see, well, what does the Bible say about this? And why is it so important? And uh, because it for many of us, it is or will be important in our lives. Well, in the beginning, God made man and woman. He put them together, and he then draws us a picture of how it's supposed to be. One man, one woman coming together in physical union and forming one flesh for the rest of their lives. And the first thing I want to say is, this is God's ideal. This is God's perfect picture. This is how God, at the very beginning of his words, describes family life. One man, one woman, together for the rest of their lives. And for those of you who know the Bibles well, and those of you who might want to read it all many times over, this picture is never criticized throughout all of Scripture. In fact, all Scripture ever does is back up this picture and tells you lots of things about what you shouldn't be doing, and it always leaves this picture intact. One man one woman 
together in physical union for the rest of their lives. And it's interesting to notice that, just in case you're wondering, God created sex. God invented it. And if one, Genesis 1 verse 31 says that everything that God has made is very good, which means that God says sex is very good, obviously in the right place, in the right, as it were, relationship. But it's very good and to be enjoyed, to be enjoyed. And I hope those of you who are married do enjoy it. Am I allowed to say that on tape? I think I'm allowed to say that on tape. So in the beginning, God gives us this picture, right? A picture, an ideal picture, a picture of perfection. And then sin enters the world, Genesis chapter 3. We kind of think that we know better than God. The Old Testament describes all sorts of things that obviously mankind is getting up to. Now, I don't have time to go through all the scriptures, but I'm going to give you a splattering of what the Bible teaches on this subject. So if we had time, we could read all of Leviticus 18, all of, uh, of Leviticus 20, and a good chunk of Deuteronomy 22. But to sum up, Leviticus 18 really has guiding laws and principles about how, well, about what we shouldn't do in involving sex. And I'm going to read a few verses to you. So Leviticus 18, I'm going to read the first few verses just to set up the context of the passage. It says this. So, Old Testament. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as, as they used to live and do in Egypt, where you used to live. And you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws. For the man who obeys them will live by them, and I am the Lord. Basically, God is saying to his people, just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. Right? Just because everybody else is doing something in society doesn't make it right. In fact, it could be quite wrong. And that's what God's trying to say. These practices in Egypt that you saw and you're involved with, the practices you're going to walk into with the Canaanites, don't follow them because they're wrong, harmful, sinful, against my best for you. So don't do it. Now, if we had time, we could read a great chunk of you shouldn't marry your father's wife and your auntie and all that kind of thing. And, uh, but then it goes to say in verse 20, it covers some unusual bits and pieces. It says this, verse 20, verse 20. Do not have sexual relationships with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to, to Molech. He must, for you must not profane the name of the Lord your God, I am God. Do not lie with a man as one does with a woman. This is detestable, he says. And do not have uh, sexual relationships with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relationships with it. This is a perversion. These things are all wrong. Why are they wrong? Because they go against the perfect picture described in Genesis chapter 2. It's going to be a theme of mine as I read that. And then in, in Leviticus 20, I'll just read one or two verses to you. The fact that if people do this, there's consequences in God's eyes. So 20, uh, let's, uh, we'll start from verse 10. Guys, if that's right, verse 10. If a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. 
If a man sleeps with his father's wife, he must dis- he, he has dishonored his father. Both the men and women must be put to death. There'll be blood in their own heads. And on it goes. Some, some get killed. Some get cast out. Some get separated. But there's always consequences for breaking, as it were, this perfect picture from Genesis chapter 2. And, um, and it over and goes, it says it. In Deuteronomy 28, it talks about virgins. Now, I've had a good look through the Bible, not all, I didn't reread it all, but a good chunk of it. And um, the Old Testament presumes something about people who are getting married, especially the girls. It presumes that they're virgins, that they've not been let out in the presence of a man yet. And Deuteronomy 22 describes the situation as if a new husband isn't happy that his wife is a virgin and describes the consequences for the girl if it's found out to be true. And there's this presumption in the Bible that man and wife-to-be will be virgins before they get married. It's such a presumption that, as far as I know, nowhere is it stated, but it is presumed throughout all of Scripture to be the case. I mean, and if a girl was found not to be a virgin, she was also killed. Come to talk to me afterwards about the punishments in the Old Testament, because I know some of you don't like them. But it was to keep the community pure and holy. So the Old Testament law backs up this perfect picture found in Genesis chapter 2. The New Testament only confirms the Old Testament, but it does explain a bit of why it's so important. So Romans chapter 1 verse 21 begins to explain what has happened. Why Man has got this sexual desire, woman's got this sexual desire to do all sorts of crazy things outside the perfect picture. So verse 21 of Romans 1 says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, listen to this, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, i.e. they left God and followed other things. Therefore, God gave them over to sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things I'd say these days, money and pleasure are some of the creative things that we follow and worship, happiness. Rather than the creator, the creator who is forever pleased. Then verse 26 says this. Because of this, God gave them over, or God allowed, uh, gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relationships for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men abandoned natural relationships with women and were inflamed with with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with one another and received in themselves for the penalty, the penalty for their perversion. It backs up the Old Testament. Sex outside, one man, one woman in a marriage is wrong. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 says this. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 says this. 
Do you not know that the wicked will not, ent- will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not, de- do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, uh, sexually immoral, nor uh, idolaters or adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. I'm going to read the next verse because some of you need to hear the next verse. And we'll read it again at the end. It says this. But you were washed. You were were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So I'm going to come back to the end. But you need to know as I talk about this, because for many of you, you've probably done things you're not proud of, things that might have led to things. You know, you go, well, what about me? You know. What happens to me? Well, the answer is Jesus happened. And there's hope and there's life and there's restoration for you. It doesn't nullify the wrongness, but it does as it were. God's grace and mercy and grace can overcome it and fix it and give you a great future again. But my point is really is that, you know, Paul is just backing up the Old Testament, saying this is wrong. These wicked people will not inherit the kingdom of God. And he goes on to say some more in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 to 20. But in this particular passage in, the, in verses 16 to, to, to 20, he, he explains, as it were, why it's important, right? He says this. So now let's start from verse 16. It says this. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute, or somebody who's not his wife, is one with her in body? For it is said, you, you, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Therefore, he says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside the body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is with you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Why is it so bad? Well, God lives inside you. And when you have sex with somebody who's not your husband or your wife, you're actually, as it were, abusing that relationship with you have with God, not just with yourself. I.e., it's a big deal. It's a big deal to a Christian. As an aside, write this down. 2, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 18 explains to us that we should only get married to believers. It's not really the kind of subject, but I wanted to include that in you, uh, in your notes. So 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14 to 18 talks about we should not be yoked, yoked to unbelievers. Right, we'll go through things. Ideal picture from Genesis chapter 2. The picture of perfection, never contradicted. God created sex, it's very good. Genesis 1, verse 31, it's to be enjoyed in its proper place. The Old Testament condemns anything that doesn't match up to the ideal picture, um, including it condemns divorce, in case you're wondering. And so does Jesus. Matthew 19, verse 1 to 9, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, come up to Jesus and say, look, what about divorce? And he says, well, Moses allowed divorce, the separation of that one fleshness, because of the hardness of your hearts, but it should not be that way. It should not be that way. Yes, it's allowed and for those of you who are biblical scholars, go, hold on a minute. In the Old Testament, 
There was lots of situations where there was more than one wife. I can see some of you thought about that one. But the scholars all say the same thing. Yes, some men did have more than one wife, but it was done because in days of war, tens of thousands of men were killed at once. Literally tens of thousands, even hundreds of thousands. And women without a man in those days was destitute. And so God, in his graciousness, allowed, as it were, a man to have more than one wife, not because it was the best, but it was the best situation despite the war, which should never have happened, right? To make sure that the women and the children that they had were well cared for by somebody. The New Testament backs up the Old Testament, backs up the perfect picture, adds a spiritual reason why, and um, says Christians only marry Christians. And then Jesus in Matthew 5 Verse 27 to 30, which I'll read to kind of finish off my quick survey of everything to do with sexuality. I hope this has been all right. I'm taking lots of notes. Um, Matthew 5, verse 27 says this. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And it says, if your right act causes you to sin, God you out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And it says the same thing again about another part of the body. There's this idea that actually lust is as bad as anything else. Have you got all that? So, God forbids anything outside marriage. Fornication, sexual behavior between single people. Adultery, sexual behavior of married people outside marriage. Homosexuality, sexual behavior between same-sex individuals, pornography, and masturbation, because it involves lustful thoughts, which Jesus says is not right. It also says that um, polygamy, the sexual activity between more than two consenting people at once, is also wrong. It has this picture. We got this picture, this picture that he describes in Genesis of the way it's supposed to be. And... um. The world doesn't see it this way. The world sees sex as a commodity. Something is plainly just a physical act. Something that will make no difference. It won't impact your life in the short term, the medium term, or the long term. It celebrates, actually, having free sex whenever you want it, with anybody you wanted. It's... As I said before, it's in almost every advert. It's definitely just about in every show these days. Any show that you watch highlights and celebrates sex outside marriage. In fact, marriage, as it were, is almost not considered in any of our modern shows at all as a final outcome. Even Disney, when I was young, always used to finish, didn't it? Prince and princess get married and live heavily, uh, happily ever after. Even that seems to be disappearing as the ideal outcome. And it's also, and I think even worse, if it was possible, it wraps up identity in our sexual activity, right? You know, who are you? Oh, you know, I'm gay. Really? Oh, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor. don't really care about your sexual identity. But people do. People ask, you know, are you gay? Are you straight? What kind of thing are you? The answer is, well, I'm God's child. I'm God's child. You know, our sexuality was never supposed to be about our identity. 
Our identity was supposed to be found in God and in him alone. That's where we get our identity from. And a Christian, whatever you feel about yourself, you need to know if you're following Jesus, your identity is found in God. He loves you. He died for you. In him is perfect love and perfect joy, perfect security, perfect hope is found in him. You see, as we love him and receive his love, we then get to love others properly because he's the source of our love. But also as we love others, having first loved him, we get to love them and honor God at the same time. And um, I've been a, a pastor, a youth worker, a long time. And uh, in fact, Michelle and I started almost as soon as we got married in 1990, which is a long time ago now. And I grieve the loss of innocence for our children. The things they get taught at school, which was never even considered when we were at school. It was the things that they, the culture tries to force them into and the pain that they go through as they try and figure out things that as children and young people, they were never meant to. They were never meant to. Now, this talk isn't on identity or, or gender. That's for another day. But, but it's all tied up, right? All tied up. And as Christians, as a church, we want to say to the world, there's an ideal way. And all the other ways are worse. All the other ways are worse. They damage individuals. They damage families. They damage communities. Because they're not God's ideal, and God's ideal is always, always best. Well, with all that said, I'm going to invite my friend Alex up. Because um, I wanted you to hear somebody who's lived, as it were, in all the worlds, both worlds. And she's, she's very kindly said um, that she'll share honestly. And um, I hope that you... Find her perspective. Now you've heard. That's why I've given you all the truth in one big dollop. And this is kind of the, the story side. So, Alex, thank you so much for coming up. And um, once upon a time, you weren't a Christian. So my, my BC days. Your BC we'll refer days. To them. So what was, your, what was your sexual life like bef- 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 in the BC era of your life? Well, I wouldn't be up here if it was tidy. Um, <laughs> So, um, I'm just checking who we've got in the room for my level of candidness. Um, It wasn't very pretty, so I am losing my voice. Um, It wasn't very pretty, so um, I had sex for the first time when I was 15 um, in a lovely, what I thought was committed relationship with a a lovely guy. He's a plumber. He's really lovely. We've been dating him for about a year. It was great. It was magical. Um, And basically, um, I just did what was normal, um, what was considered to be normal within my friendship circle, Um, went off to university and um, I slept with a lot of people and it seemed to be just quite normal really Um, and didn't really think that I was doing anything wrong I think that's the fundamental principle that let's not get judgy with people people genuinely don't realize that this is wrong Um, and they because they don't know what God's best is because I wasn't told no one told me Um, and I just carried on ruining my life (laughs) For that period of time, um, probably, um, I'm trying to think, until until someone pointed it out in my first year of university that perhaps there might be a better way of living than the way that I was. 
Cool. And you, you said, so at the weekend, what was your kind of general aim in those days? Oh, gosh, we used to just go out on the pool. So, um, yeah, so we, uh, there was like a group of us girls and it was very much like a, like a badge of honour, really. Like if you could pull and not come home. Um, and um, I remember even going out and it being like, um, how, many, how many guys can you like kiss in one evening, like in a nightclub? It's like a standard game that we would play. So it's not. So it's not just the boys play that particular game. Oh no, no, the girls do too. The girls are sometimes a lot worse than the boys. Trust me. I, I used will, to hang I out with. Trust a lot, you. I, I used to hang out with a lot of rugby boys, and trust me, the girls can be in an absolute state in comparison to the men. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so that was kind of give some context to what I'm talking about. So, how do you understand kind of change when you found Jesus, and how did this new way of thinking affect you or make you feel? It's obviously a big change. Um, so when I first became a Christian, it was quite a radical transformation, but there was some areas of my life that were quite slow to change and transform. God's a gentleman, eh? And he takes us one step at a time. Um, and this was a really big area of my life that needed addressing. So when you become a Christian, your whole life gets kind of tipped upside down, doesn't it? And that whole sense of repentance from literally living our life one way to turning around the other way comes from the place of understanding what God's best is in every circumstance in every area of life um and then our behavior starts to line up with it now some things in life are really easy to to flick a switch on but this was an area that needed quite a lot of work um and a lot of it was around really understanding the truth of what it is um i think probably in the early days i did it as very much a um like an obedience thing um but not really understanding that actually god put this in place as a rule of protection for us so we talk about the wall we talk about the walls of the playground don't we that all the fun happens within and actually sometimes you ignore the walls that because you're having so much fun within them but actually I think when you first become a Christian the walls are very apparent to you the restriction um and the um the framework which you're kind of living within so for me it took me a long time to understand the protection of the what the protection was and why it was there um and kind of understanding who God was and God being that protective father figure. And I'm this, I'm just, some of this can sound really kind of feminine, but it's really true for you guys as well. Um, because it's about protecting our hearts, it's about protecting our souls, and it's about protecting us for something which was designed and purposed for. And I, my whole mindset um, in the early days of my Christian life was about understanding the purpose of sex, the purpose of sex within a marriage and what it was designed for. And I'd been playing with fire up until that point. Because anybody who's married and is, you know, in, in a, you know, invested in a sexual relationship, it's great. It's fantastic. It's awesome. And God gave you that. And you know what? Prior to that, you're like scratching the surface. You're not getting all of it. You're getting a fabricated version of it. You're getting something that the world's selling you. And it's a lie. The best of it and the best experience of it is within the marriage covenant because that's what it was designed for. You take what something was designed for, you take it out of its setting and it doesn't work properly. And that's why it's so screwed up and that's why it screws with so many people. Yes, yeah, so obviously you, you made the decision and then you began to think about dating and finding a Christian and marrying them. How did how did that feel and how did the past kind of impact that lot? Um, so there's a lot of baggage, isn't there, that comes with um, 
with a with a sexual history. Um, and um, I was in a really broken place, if I'm completely honest. And we have to be really careful about how we um, deal with people um, and talk to people that have a, a sexual history or have done things that don't know otherwise because there was a lot of brokenness and a lot of hurt. Um, and I felt dirty, really dirty and broken and damaged. And God had to deal with that. That was not anybody's responsibility to deal with. That was for me and God to deal with. Um, I was talking to Ed a bit yesterday that one of my biggest issues with thinking about dating was that I thought I was damaged goods. So I thought that no one would actually love me. Like, no, like, lovely, nice guy. Like, is he like, I'm going, oh, that's terrible. Yeah, it is. That's, that's where I was for a really long time. Um, but a really nice Christian guy wouldn't want to be with me because I was damaged goods. Um, so you, I had to deal with a lot of that. And that took me a really long time to deal with. Um, and I'd recommend to anybody who's in the same place and can relate to anything of what I'm saying, please deal with it before you start dating. Please. And get your identity in Christ right before you start dating. Because then when you do start dating, and I have a wonderful husband who sat on the front row. <laughs> We've been married for seven years now. And do you know what? Those com- I dreaded having to have that conversation with him. That conversation we were early started dating about, you know, the lovely boundaries word and what we were going to do when we were dating, but also the fact that I did have a sexual past and how he would feel about that um, and what baggage that would bring into our marriage bed, so to speak. Um, and he was, you know, he was wonderful. And this is a story for, for, for another day in terms of what that kind of, that conversation happened with Daniel. But um, if you can avoid any of this... <laughs> Um, just lighten the burden of it. Just would be, just make things so much, so much easier for everybody. <laughs> um, sorry. And then the other thing was you um, talking about kind of what it was like when we were dating. Um, uh, <clears throat> so, just because you've had sex before, and then you get you start dating doesn't make it any easier than the rest of you that haven't had sex before you got married um (laughs) the fruits of the spirit self-control anyone (laughs) anyone (laughs) it's for everybody and then also you have to have the conversation so far well we've done it before so does it does it make a difference if we don't do outside of marriage no i don't care if you're engaged you're not married don't play with the fire (laughs) um and we had to, we we set some really straight boundaries really really early on in our relationship, and it's really good to have those conversations really early on before things, before passions might strike a little bit early, and you're in a difficult and compromising position. You need to have those conversations really really early and get some people that are accountable to you. We've had some couples in our connect group that we've we said I'm going to ask you every week. I am going to ask you, and I'm not doing it to meddle, and I'm not doing it to be a busybody. I'm doing it because you know that it's God's best for you. And I'm trying to give it to you. I'm trying to help facilitate you to have it. Um, So we need to get alongside couples, young couples and young single people and and just help them out because it's hard. And all the stuff that you've been talking about, the world's throwing it at people, throwing it at people all the time. Sorry. I could talk on this for hours. I'm really passionate about it. It's okay. It's why you're here. (laughs) So any final advice you might have? Any thoughts? guys. Um, so I wrote down a couple of things. Um, decide that just decide that you're going to live this way as early as you can, and then stick to your guns. Um, when you start dating, when you start having conversations with people that you might be getting into a relationship with, talk about this really, really early. 
um, and get some people around you. Um, this is one area of life. We talk about what um, Ed was talking about, kind of the world is kind of indoctrinating us to loads of different things. This is one area of life. This is, this is one kind of sinful area that the world has got the narrative on effectively right now. You have complete control over this. And you can put things in place to help you have better control. Um, and then the last one is be that weird person. Be the weird person in the circle of friends that isn't doing it. Um, be the weird person that's speaking out about it. Because I can remember early on in the days that me and Daniel were dating when I first became a Christian, this was my strongest line of witness. And there was people in my life that didn't believe I'd become a Christian until I stopped having sex before I got married. Because it was such a big part of my life. It could be one of the opening conversations and gambit pieces that you have with people. If you're going to give this up and be so countercultural, gosh, you must believe something. And gosh, it must be good. Okay. Thank you, Alex. Let's give her a hand. Thank you so much for her, for her honesty. She, if you want to go and talk to her, um, then do. If you want to le- wait till next week, you're very welcome to. Just don't forget. Because if, if you go to it, yeah, anyway. But do go and talk to her. And um, I, I wanted to make it real for you and to put it, you know, hear a real story about somebody who struggled with it, somebody who's found forgiveness and healing and restoration, come out the other side, married, children, loves Jesus. Great identity. She's part of our trustee board is Alex. I trust her so much. Uh, she's become an amazing person. God's done some great stuff. So I want to go back to the Ephesians 6 passage that I read before. And um, I just want to speak just for a minute or two for those perhaps in this building who are still still struggling. You might, you might be married and have baggage that you still need to deal with. As Alex says, this, this is really between you and God. Okay, I'm not, <laughs> not going to call you to the front or I'm going to lay hands on you, anything like that. But it is something that you need to begin to sort out with your Heavenly Father. Um, it begins with a relationship with Him. And so I'll begin by, if those want to make a relationship with, with Him, then they can. Um, I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up for obvious reasons. But if you do make a decision tonight, please do come and find me or Alex or Joe. Just stand up. She will be in the coffee shop, just go and say hi. I put my hand up in my heart, and she will know what you mean. And she would love to give you a Bible and encourage you and answer any questions. But I don't think it's appropriate sticking your hand up because nobody might quite know what you mean. So let's not let's not do that. So it, so it does it does begin it begins there. Did I say Ephesians? It's one Corinthians six. Um, but then it's it's more than that. And and as Alex says, it's a process. It's a process that will take weeks or months. And it is between you and God. If you want to find, get a leader or one or two friends praying for you as you sort it out. Because you need God's healing internally. Like it's, not, it's not something you can necessarily... For some, okay, for some of you, God might just go, click, and it's gone. And you feel whole again, and you feel pure again, and you feel like it's taken away. For others of you, you'll have to go through a process with God, because the process is important, all right? Because God, God always wants the best outcome for us. We always think, God, do it instantly. But that's not always the, the best long-term 
outcome for us. Sometimes we need to walk a path with him and sort out a few things along the way. And so it will involve praying. It will involve reading the Bible. It will involve being faithful in areas of life. As Alex said, it will involve putting the boundaries, the, the walls of the, what do you call it, the, of the playground back up again and living in them despite how you might feel or how difficult that might be for you. And then you need to allow God to do. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians 6 says this, And this is what some of you were, but you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified, and you are washed now, and you are sanctified. You were justified, just as if you'd never sinned. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his death and by his resurrection, by his blood that he shed for you, and by the Spirit of our God, Jesus did the action. The Holy Spirit comes and cleans and heals and restores you. And this is God's gift, right? It's God's gift in every area of sin, right? It's not just this one, but I'm going to talk about this one. It's tonight. Most of our young people, especially but not exclusively for sure, who come into church will have already fallen in this area. And we as a church need to gently help them, teach them, create those boundaries, restore them so they can walk into healthy marriages that they can walk back into Genesis chapter 2 before sin happened. They may be, as it were, released into that. So they may have that picture, and they may enjoy the perfect union, the one fleshness that God longs for every single married couple of one woman and one man together. So I just want to pray. Let's just close our eyes. Perhaps you're in this room, and you don't know God yet. Or perhaps you did, but you've drifted far away, or you... God seems distant, and with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, take this moment to silently say, God, I, I need you. I'm sorry. I've done things that I'm not proud of, things that I know I should never have done, and I'm sorry. But God, I thank you that you recognize that I am sinful and I needed a Savior. I needed as it were, this guilt, this penalty taken away from me. And I thank you that that's what Jesus did on the cross. Father, I, I thank you that he took it all. He took both the action and the guilt. And if you will, Father, if I can just give myself enough to you, you will take away the pain and the shame. And you will heal and restore me back to the way it was. And as you cry out, expect God to answer. Expect God to whisper into your heart and into your soul tonight or very soon. My child, I love you. My child, you can trust me. My child, we can do this together. My child, there's a hope and a future. I can restore that which was broken or messed up. I can do something good, whatever the consequences have happened so far. My child, if you will trust me, I can take hold of it and make something beautiful from it. The Bible says that God can use all things for good. And guess what? He can even use our mistakes for good because he's God and nothing is impossible for him. Father, I pray for any who are crying out in their heart, God, that they may hear your voice, that they may sense your spirit in their lives. Father, so I may give them hope. It was, it was almost two weeks when I said that prayer in my heart to realizing your spirit was in me and heaven was my home. Father, I pray 
they may know if they will trust in you, that you will come and be with them. And they may know that they may know that they are yours. And Father, once they've done that, Father, I pray for others in this room. They may be married now or not, maybe in a relationship or not, but God, they have sexual baggage in their life. Slept with boys, girls, maybe multiple things. Father, perhaps lust is in their hearts. Pornography is an issue. And they, they lust and they shouldn't. Father, I pray you would begin that restoration process right now. Father, may they come on the humble knee. And may they say, God, I need help. And Father, I pray that they may pursue you in this area of their life until their dying days. And Father, as they do, that you would restore them. For those in marriages, Father, that you would begin to heal and restore them so they may have a wonderful relationship with their husband or wife, uncluttered. So that baggage will be taken away. Not that we deserve it, God, but we ask because of what Jesus has done on the cross. For those that have lustful thoughts who maybe pornography is a problem, Father, I pray as they come. God, that you would begin to heal and restore those areas of their life too. Father, that they would pursue you. Maybe in those instances, for some of them, they might find a friend. That they may hold each other accountable as time goes on to live lives as you would want them. So they may walk, as Psalm 1 says, they may walk in prosperity before you, Father. Not that we do it for that, but it's the, it's the outcome of following your laws, your decrees, and your ways in our life. And Father, I pray for any here, God, who don't have the baggage. Father, I pray you'd bless them. Father, I pray that you would anoint them with great joy. Father, they may never feel like they've missed out, but would know, God, how blessed they are, how an amazing testimony, an amazing thing they bring into that bedroom that first time. A great gift for their husband or their wife that they've just married. And God, I pray that they may know that you are pleased with them. And Father, I pray, I guess, at the end as well, for those who repent. God, that they may know that that pleasure can be restored in every single life, just as if they never sinned. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.